What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to another edition of B Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Monday, March 27th, 2023, as we are just a few days away from opening day at Bush Stadium. St. Louis Cardinals will host the Toronto Blue Jays. And we've got a lot more information about that game, who will be participating in it, the pitchers, maybe even the lineup since the last time we spoke on B-Shafe Daily. And I want to apologize for that. But if you had been listening to the KTGR Big Show Thursday and Friday of last week, you heard me sounding like crap. I had virtually no voice and had to host the show without my co-host, Andy. And that really did a number on me for the weekend. And so I just had to rest it because I know that this is a big week coming up with baseball finally returning to us. And I wanted to be at full strength or as close to full strength as I could be for when that happened. And lo and behold, I feel much better today on Monday. And so should be good to go for the rest of the week and leading into opening day on Thursday. A lot of Cardinal stuff to get to. We're going to try to cram a lot of content and information and, and many topics into the episode today. So appreciate you guys for joining me. We're going to talk Jordan Walker, of course. Jordan Walker making the team. We'll get into the roster now that we know it. And I want to take a look at ESPN's projection for Jordan Walker. I saw this in a tweet earlier today, and people were sort of debating whether it was fair, whether the the ESPN projection expected too much, not enough out of him. And so I want to take a look at that and sort of give my expectations for Jordan Walker in his rookie season. I want to talk about Mason Wynn as well, because Mason Wynn is a guy that really has come on strong in the latter part of spring training camp, and a lot of folks thought maybe Mason Wynn should have made the Cardinals as well. I'll talk about why I don't think it was quite time yet. However, I want to sort of detail the way that Mason Wynn has, at least for me, accelerated or put himself into position to accelerate the timeline that I would expect him to be able to get to the big leagues maybe a little sooner than I had been saying based on what we've been seeing out of him this spring. So we'll get into that, and then we're going to talk pitching. We're going to do position player stuff first, for the most part, and then we're going to talk pitching because we've got the Adam Wainwright injury, which I don't believe we have talked yet about uh, on the podcast, Miles Michaelis contract extension, same thing, and whether we're concerned about Jack Flaherty after uh, a rough outing in Grapefruit League play. All of that and more coming up on this edition of B-Shape Daily. So make sure you're locked in, subscribed on Spotify, in Apple Podcasts, I think actually it's follow. you got to follow the pod on Spotify. And once again, had more people do that. And so I saw the number go up by a couple since the last time we did a show. Appreciate you guys for following me over there. And if you haven't done it yet, hop on board on Spotify. Appreciate that quite a bit. All right, let's jump into it. The man of the hour, the man of the year, perhaps, Jordan Walker. 20-year-old phenom. He's on the Cardinals opening day roster and how sweet it is how exciting it is after man the phenomenal start to the spring that he had where he just came out like a bat out of hell and was hitting everything looking really impressive had that situation where he sort of uh banged up his shoulder I think it was sliding into second base head first and we were worried about you know what kind of that would do to him they said he's fine healthy to go Has not really hit very much, though, since then. And in particular, he has struggled against lefties. Has not really done much at all against left-handed pitching all spring. 
And that makes you wonder, okay, are there some holes in his swing that he's going to have to work through? Yeah, probably so. 20 years old, remember, has never really experienced any periods of prolonged failure. And that's something that you're going to look for when you do go into a slump. How does Jordan Walker respond? Well, in the video that the Cardinals posted to their social media accounts, and if you haven't seen it, I recommend you go check it out. It's pretty cool. Where Ollie Marmel is uh, delivering the news to Jordan Walker that he has made the team. He's explaining, the manager of the Cardinals is explaining to the young top prospect that all of the coaching staff has been so impressed with the way he's carried himself and not allowed, you know, some of the struggles to have any impact on his day-to-day. Just impressed with the way he's gone about those things and, and not allowed adversity to get to him. And they've seen enough, I think, from him to make that determination and so that was the news from Ali Marmel to Jordan Walker to say, yes, you have made this team. Uh, you're more than deserving of coming north with us. And so he'll be on the team. He will be in the opening day lineup. I don't think there's any doubt about that for the St. Louis Cardinals. And if you checked out their spring training game on Monday, I think it's maybe an exact replica of what we'll see on Thursday in terms of the starting lineup. Brennan Donovan at second, Lars Newtbar was in left field. Uh, that might be the case with O'Neill playing center. You could reverse that if you wanted to, but I don't think they're going to. I think it's going to be exactly what it was. Otherwise, why are they doing it that way? Donovan, Newpar, Goldschmidt, Arenado, Contreras. We know that Goldie, Arenado, Contreras will be the 3-4-5, basically in, in ink pen throughout the season. Tyler O'Neill batting sixth as the center fielder. D.H. Nolan Gorman, who homered again on Monday. Look out for Nolan Gorman this season is all I'm going to say. Jordan Walker, right field, batting eighth. Man, to have one of the top-hitting prospects in baseball and he's eighth in your lineup, does that ever change the look of a lineup? It has a chance to. And Tommy Eben, shortstop, batting ninth. That, I mean, on paper, guys, that looks really compelling. I look at all of those individual spots and say, okay, if Donovan is the on-base fiend that he was last year, and maybe even shows a little more pop the way that he has at times this spring. That is a sight to behold at leadoff. Lars Newbar, we know the expectations are high, but he finished really on a strong note last year, the second half. And so we'll see if he's able to keep that up. Goldschmidt just won the MVP. Arnado just finished third in the MVP vote. Contreras, he gives you 20 home runs, 80 RBIs, and hopefully an 800 OPS. That's more than, than fine out of the five spot. Okay, then you get into the bottom part of the order, the final four spots. Tyler O'Neill did not have a good season last year. It wasn't entirely health-related because he was on the field for a, a number of games, but it was kind of in between stints on the injured list, and so did he ever get a chance to feel like himself? That might be the question, and if he's able to kind of turn things around, be more like he was in 2021 when he finished ninth, I believe it was, in the MVP voting in the National League, that is a valuable player, batting sixth in your order. Nolan Gorman might be one of the best number seven batters in the league if he carries over from the spring what he's done and is able to parlay that into success in the regular season. I think he's going to hit home runs. I think he's going to hit the ball hard. I think he's going to have a productive year. He was an OPS in the lower 700s last year with 14 home runs. I expect both of those numbers to rise. He's a guy that should be pushing for an 800 OPS as well. And that might be selling him short. I mean, he's got, uh, it's a sky is the limit situation, I think, for Nolan Gorman. 
but there is still a floor there if he sort of gets away from the things that have made him successful lately. We know that he can go through slumps at times. I'm high on him, though. I think he can have a really good season. Jordan Walker, we'll talk about his expectations in a moment. Batten eighth. And Tommy Edmond, I think he does need to, Tommy Edmond, get a little bit more robust in terms of making sure that on base is uh, appropriate, making sure, uh, you know, he's getting the doubles. Tommy two bags. I I think at times he would would go through stretches where you go, wow, his wins above replacement looks so good. But his numbers offensively, they're not really what, you know, not really what he's capable of doing. We've seen it before. Tommy Edmond, I think, can have a good season. But realistically, he only needs to be about league average as an offensive player from the shortstop position to return value. And again, if he's batting ninth for you, there's, I mean, there are a lot worse number nine hitters in the league. So feel pretty good about that lineup one through nine. But let's talk about Jordan Walker and what are reasonable expectations for him in his rookie season. Here is what, and again, I don't even know if this is right. Um, I see a tweet where it's a screenshot of a tweet that says ESPN has updated their projections for Jordan Walker with the news that he has made the team. I have not looked this up on ESPN. I don't know where these projections are held, but regardless of if this is actually what ESPN says or not, that's not really the point. I thought the numbers were interesting and I wanted to kind of jump off of there and decide whether or not I think they're high or low on certain aspects of this prediction. Here's what they've got. 302 batting average. Be pretty impressive as a rookie. 376 on base percentage and a 483 slug, which equates to an 860 OPS. That'd be pretty good. 860 OPS uh, as a rookie would be pretty darn good for Jordan Walker. Home runs, they've got 10. RBIs, they've got 39. And stolen bases, they've got 13. And I saw some commentary that people were saying, you know, these projections are great. I think he's going to hit 25 bombs and drive in 90 runs. And and then you've got the other factions saying, all right, pump the brakes. That's a little bit excessive to expect of a guy, you know, is he even going to play every day? All these questions. Here's how I look at this group of projections. Whoever came up with them, it says ESPN on this tweet, but I don't have a way to source it because it was a screenshot, the version of it that I saw. A 302 average feels uh, lofty. I, he is a very good contact hitter. I think he can hit for a good average. A good average would be 280, 290. And I think it's possible. But again, that might be asking a lot of a guy who's never played a game in AAA as of yet. 376 on base definitely feels too high. If you can get to 340, 350, I think you're doing work at that point. I could be wrong. He could just step right in and be a stud. But I feel like 376 is a little too high. 483 on the slug, I think could happen. I think could happen potentially. Strikes me as maybe a little bit high. I would go more 460, 470. And again, these are like hopeful projections, uh, optimistic projections that I feel I'm making. If he's a 350 on base and a and a 460 on, uh, uh, slugging percentage, pardon me, that's an 810 OPS. That'd be darn good for a rookie. Be darn good for anybody. I'll pull it up. I mean, if you want to take a, a look back at last season for the St. Louis Cardinals, Paul Goldschmidt, 982 OPS. Yeah, he's the MVP of the league. Nolan Arenado finished third in the MVP vote. Now, he has defense contributing to a lot of, of his cachet as well, but 891 was his OPS. Albert Pujols, his great second half, 
buoyed his OPS to 895 for the full season. Looking elsewhere, though, on the Cardinals, and I have to sort it. I'm going to have to sort it by all players because otherwise it'll just be the qualifiers. Lars Newpar was the fourth high on the Cardinals in OPS at 788. And Lars Newpar had a really good season. People may not fully appreciate the season that he had because of how bad the first two months were, but that was being, you know, shipped back and forth between St. Louis and Memphis, not really getting regular playing time. But we're talking about three guys, Goldsmith, Arenado, who, again, top three in the MVP vote. One of them won the thing. Albert Pujols, historic, will never see it again second half from a veteran player. And those were the three kind of everyday Cardinals that had an OPS greater than 800. Three Cardinals, period, that had an OPS greater than 800, I think. Unless there was like a guy that had like an at-bat that did it, and this isn't showing it for whatever reason. Lars Newpar was fourth, and he did not 800 OPS. Uh, Brendan Donovan, 773. Had a really good rookie season. Juan Yepes, 743. Edmund, 724. Gorman, 720. Uh, Tyler O'Neill, 700 on the nose. So we're talking 810 OPS would have been the, the fourth best in the Cardinals lineup last year. So I'm making what I feel are still maybe some optimistic projections because it very easily could be, you know, a Nolan Gorman plus type of rookie season where he goes through some struggles. Gorman still hit 14 bombs, had 35 RBIs, 720 OPS. I mean, Jordan Walker could OPS 750 and it could be objectively very fine for a 20-year-old and people would be upset, I think. They'd be wrong to be upset, but I think I think people would say that was underwhelming. I would say you get to 750-760, that shows staying power in the big leagues, and he's only going to go from there. In an ideal world, it's more like 800 because we've, we've heaped some really unfair expectations upon this kid, but 860, if this is the, the ESPN projections, 860 OPS would be out of this world. That is, that's too high of a, of a projection. I'd welcome it, but here's what I'll say. If he OPS is 860, their other projections of 10 homers and 39 RBIs are wrong because if he's an 860 OPS, he's going to play far too many games to only hit 10 homers and only drive in 39 runs. I think realistically he's going to play a lot. He's going to play right field, and, and hopefully they allow him to DH. I think if the bat dictates it, they will, but... I think if he's a, if he's an 860 OPS, he's just going to play too much to only hit 10 home runs. Now, he might only hit 10 or 12 home runs because he might OPS 750 and you know have 400 at-bats or 350 at-bats, and maybe the power doesn't fully translate yet because at the minor league level, the, the power hadn't 100% translated yet. Really, we saw him start to, to hit for some power in the Arizona Fall League, but prior to that, it wasn't robust in terms of his home run totals this spring he's got three but in 65 plate appearances that's still not anything crazy probably gets you 25 or 30 in a full big league season which is great but I don't know if you can expect that you know to automatically translate to the bigs he had an 816 OPS this spring and it was buoyed by what he did at the beginning really the second half of spring it was probably about 450 or 500 he struggled but the Cardinals thought they saw enough in him to say let's go ahead and do it let's do it now Last year in Springfield, 19 home runs and 536 plate appearances. It's pretty solid. And I act like, well, the power hasn't come in. That was 20-year-old playing in double A. 
years of an average age difference below the average age of the competition in that league, in the Texas league. So 510 slug. I mean, and then in the, the fall league, he slugged 558, had five homers in 90 plate appearances. He could be a definite 20 to 25 homer guy with, you know, a full season-ish of a sample. He could be a 30 home run guy, you know, with a full season of a sample. But that's so much to ask of a rookie who is going to turn 21 years old in May. But 10's too low. Again, I think he'll hit more than 10 home runs unless it's a deal where he really struggles, gets sent to the minors, has that type of rookie year, which could happen. That could happen as well. And it wouldn't, I don't think it would be an unmitigated failure automatically just because, you know, a guy might need to go back for some seasoning. I don't think that's the Cardinals plan for him, but the numbers will dictate that. I mean, if he's hitting 150 and not hitting for power, eventually that would be the case. You'd have to make a move. My prediction, though, you see Jordan Walker, 15 to 20 home runs, be able to stay up for the majority of the season, get a lot of at-bats, get a lot of opportunity, 15 to 20 home runs, 60 to 70 RBIs, maybe 55 to 70, uh, because he won't be in a run-producing spot in the order, all you know, at least to begin. I think 15 home runs, 60 RBIs, 800 OPS, maybe 780, 790 OPS, I think that could certainly be the case. Uh, the 13 steals, I don't see. I know he's been a guy in the minors that's stolen uh, quite a few bases. A lot of guys do that in the minors. When they get to the big leagues, it kind of goes away unless they're a speed guy. Good base runner. I don't think he's going to be stealing double-digit bases. Uh, would love to be wrong about that. I just don't think it's going to be a, as much of a priority. He stole 22 last year in Springfield. I just personally don't see it at the big league level. We'll see. would be awesome to, to have that tool remain in his bag, kind of a la Paul Goldschmidt, who's never been a fast guy, but uh, especially earlier in his career was a really good base stealer for a long while. But I think, you know, 15, 17 home runs, 60, 70 RBIs, that would be a totally reasonable projection that I think if it happened, you'd go, success. We got a 21-year-old doing this. He's only going to get better from here. Uh, everywhere he's gone so far, he has succeeded. And now you're asking him to skip a level. So if he can step right into Major League Baseball and do that, overwhelming success. We'll see if he's able to do it. Uh, he could exceed those numbers, but I think to expect it would be a little bit reckless uh, and, and probably unfair to the guy. But man, is it exciting. And again, if those are your numbers out of the eight-hole hitter, 15, 17 home runs, 60, 70 RBIs, and an OPS of you know, 780, 790, even if that's all it is, that would be remarkable. That is a lineup that that means business, man. Tell you what. It could be it could be very exciting. I mean, it could be a deep, dangerous lineup if again, all of these guys kind of hit on their expectations or are able to, in the case of like an O'Neill, bounce back the way they are looking to. It'll be really interesting to see. The one guy that's not in the starting lineup that it's interesting to me is Dylan Carlson. Has good numbers, especially from the left side of the plate this spring. That was his struggle last year is hitting right-handed pitching. He's done it this spring. Granted, maybe a little bit of empty calories on, on the stats there. Has struck out quite a bit, even against righties he has, and even more so against lefties, where suddenly this spring he's not hitting well against lefties, and he is striking out a ton. I think close to 30% overall in the spring. But I still have faith in Dylan Carlson to to be a contributor. And I think the way the Cardinals are going to use him, I hope he uses it as a motivator. I was a little bit taken aback by a tweet I saw from, from Ben Fred of the Post-Dispatch where he, he kind of framed it as though the conversations with Ollie Marmol down there still in Jupiter 
with Ollie talking about the roster spot coming down to Yepes versus Carlson is the way, and I wasn't there for this conversation, so I don't know what Ollie actually said, but I was very kind of surprised to read that. Like Carlson was ever a consideration to not make the team. I think that'd be crazy. Um, it just doesn't make sense to me. So I don't know how much merit there was to that or not. And it was framed with regard to Alec Burleson as though it, it kind of tipped off Ben Fred the way it was being discussed. That was like, oh, Alec Burleson is already a lock to make this team. And that is what happened. Burleson's on the roster. Yepes is not to begin the year. But I just think the Carlson angle of that is really interesting because he would seem to be at, at worst just like a really good defensive fourth outfielder that you can always bring into a game late. And you shouldn't be afraid to see him taking it back relative to like last year you had toward the end, Ben Deluzio was kind of the guy they would bring in to try to hold the game when they wanted to get the defensive alignment out there. But they, I mean, heaven forbid he would take it back. He would just be an out. That's not really the case with Dylan Carlson. Say what you will about the, the way he struggled last year. And he did. Uh, but I still feel like there's something more in there for him offensively. And, it's just a luxury, I think, to have a guy like him off the bench. I, I view it as unfortunate for Carlson because, especially in the context of all of the conversations about, well, they didn't trade him for Juan Soto, and that was the deal. And no, you can go back on B-Shape Daily at the time, and we talked about it, and we said Dylan Carlson as the final piece to put into a puzzle that also includes a Jordan Walker or Mason Wynn or both like that should never have happened and it didn't. That's why the Cardinals didn't end up getting Juan Soto. I don't think it was just Dylan Carlson. We can't trade him. So the whole deal goes bust. No, there were a bunch of names in the deal that they didn't want to give up that the nationals did want. And Carlson was only one of them. And I would probably say not the top one of them, probably the third at best name. If you consider the potential resurgence we're seeing of Gorman, like Gorman was probably another name that was would have been involved in that that deal. And at the time, I think I would have traded Nolan Gorman. And now we're seeing him really kind of, you know, put it together a little bit in spring and, and get rave reviews. So probably a good thing the Cardinals held on to him. We'll see what it translates into. But for Carlson, I call it, yeah, it's unfortunate, kind of that fall from grace to where don't get caught up in the Juan Soto part of it. But if this is what he is now for the Cardinals, a fourth outfielder who can come in for defense and will take plenty of at-bats, but sort of in that reserve role, then yeah, the Cardinals did probably miss their window to trade him. They probably should have traded him while they had the chance to do so uh, to get more of a return on his value. But he's still a very young player. What's he, 24, 25 years old? Still has plenty of time to kind of find himself back and get it going. The concern is the hard hit rate's just not there. He's one of the lowest percentiles in terms of hard hit rate and exit velocity. Uh, and hitting the ball hard is generally better, and Carlson has not had uh, enough consistency uh, doing that, and the strikeouts are starting to mount on him a little bit. And so maybe this is a motivating factor for Carlson where he can say, ah, the team sounds verbally willing to discount me. Maybe they shouldn't write me off that easily. Maybe they're trying to jumpstart, and maybe that's intentional by Ollie Marble. I don't really know. I do know, though, it's better to have more good players than not have them. And so... If Carlson's your fourth outfielder and Burleson's one of your outfielders that's on your bench and you think those guys can help you offensively, maybe Dylan, they see more capable from the right side. Burleson from the left can be a bit of a dynamic duo where you trust Carlson to come in for defense. Maybe Burleson takes an at-bat if it's against a certain type of pitcher, but Carlson's the guy that comes in and plays the field behind him. You could have a very dynamic bench 
set up if that's the case. I, I, I could see things working out really well where it's like for years we've been talking about the bench and it matters and, and it's okay if everybody's not an everyday player. It's good to have more good players. Models Model it after teams like the Dodgers and, and the Padres certainly have uh, continued to sign players. Don't worry about what position they're going to play because it's better to have more good players. And so that's kind of the way I see it. Hopefully Carlson can be an example of that for the Cardinals and not just feel like he's wallowing away on the bench and not able to get the most out of his talent. This should be hopefully a motivating factor for him. But I, I bring that up in the context of the Mason Wynn conversation because Cardinals fans are saying, hey, look, Mason Wynn has been great this spring. You know, why didn't he get the chance to, to join the Cardinals with Jordan Walker right away? And totally understand it, but it is a little bit of a different situation from the perspective of the Cardinals have been very clear about Edmund, Tommy Edmund being entrenched at shortstop, whereas they have paved the way for, in every sense of the phrase, for Jordan Walker to take an outfield job this spring. I mean, they they went out of their way to say only Lars Newbar was going to be guaranteed a starting role entering spring training, and everybody else had to kind of earn their spot. They opened that up that way just so that a guy like Jordan Walker could be able to elevate. And he did. He has elevated himself enough to where he's been able to, to grab onto that opportunity, and he is going to be part of the Cardinals' starting outfield to begin the season. Now, Mason Wynn had a 949 OPS this spring, higher than Jordan Walker. He had two home runs, two doubles, two triples. He's got athleticism to burn. He is a special talent. And defensively, Mason Wynn is a major league-ready shortstop, full stop. That's the whole sentence. He's ready now to play everyday shortstop in the major leagues. That's my impression from seeing him this spring. He's made some ridiculous plays. He's been very good defensively, very sound, dynamic, uh, super exciting to see Mason win in the field. And then with the bat in his hand, he has impressed me this spring to have those types of power numbers. And again, you don't always get it against the, the chief competition, but he hit 333, a 949 OPS, 18 hits in the spring and 54 at-bats. Like Mason Wynn, I think, has shown enough in this small sample to say he might be a little more major league ready at the bat than I thought. He's going to go to AAA Memphis. I think it's going to be a proving ground for him. If he's able to parlay some of that success and continue it at Memphis, I'll be in the position early in the season. You know, April, May, doesn't really matter. If there's an injury to an Edmund or there's a, a situation where Edmund's not performing or there's somebody else on the middle infield that gets hurt and you could rearrange some things, and Mason Wynn is beaten down the door, I go ahead and bring him up then. I do what the Atlanta Braves did last year with a lot of their young players and bring those guys up and let's see it happen and, and inject some of that excitement and exuberance into the lineup because I think Mason Wynn right now could be a capable major league player. He had some comments where he said, in another organization, I might already be up. I might have made the team with this spring performance, but I'm glad I'm in this organization because I know that you know that's that's the, the, the best thing for me long-term. We're going to win. It's going to be great. But I think he's right to say that in another organization, this spring would have gotten him a job. It's just that the Cardinals have a lot of roadblocks up at the position that he plays. But that doesn't mean the Cardinals should suddenly start thinking about trading somebody. I don't think at all that that would be the case. I don't think that makes sense for the Cardinals. Like, if you have a capable Tommy Edmond four, five, six wins above replacement player at short, that's a good thing. If you have Mason win. And however he comes up with his war, whether it's a combo of defense and offensive production, which I think is plausible, and he can get to similar levels, who knows what exactly the type of player he's going to be. But that'd be a good thing. If Nolan Gorman's going to DH and play some second base and hit bombs for you, that's a good thing. Brendan Donovan can move around. 
on-base percentage, good defender, won a gold glove as a utility guy. That's a good thing because eventually, maybe not this year, knock on wood, it doesn't happen this year, but eventually with this organization and, and this core that you have uh, put together, somebody's going to get hurt. it be nagging injuries. There's going to be season-long injuries. Having more good players is better than not having that amount of good players. And if there's a point in time where it's just such an obvious surplus at one position and there's a team offering up something you really need, maybe in the way of pitching, then you talk about it at that point. But I think social media Cardinals fans get a little too proactive in thinking, well, gosh, if they've got Mason Wynn, then, you know, you got to trade Eben. No, 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 no. I, I think the trading should be more about maximizing a guy's value when it's at its height. If you think Tommy Edmonds at his highest value, you know, then you can maybe make a case that you trade Tommy Edmond. But I think Tommy Edmond could sustain the way that he's been playing the last couple of seasons. And as we've seen with the Cardinals and John Mosellock anyway, they, they're, they're rather averse to making those types of trades when they say, hey, I'm betting that the guy, the asset we've got now, isn't going to appreciate any further, isn't going to sustain what he's done or project uh, the way that we, we thought he would. And then to make those trades, like we talked about that with Carlson, there would have been a moment, I think, to have done it. Uh, there was a moment to have done it with, you know, Carlos Martinez years ago. There's a moment to have done it maybe with Alex Reyes after his all-star season. It's not typically in the bag of the Cardinals front office to make a move where fans are going to go, really? You're trading that guy away now? Wow. It's kind of like they hold on to these guys and sometimes they, they hit on their expectations. Sometimes they don't, they decline. Think of a, a Paul DeYoung. Think of maybe even an Alan Craig years ago where they got something out of him. He was involved in the John Lackey trade. I think it was. But he had really seen a sharp decline in his performance before that to where you're never really selling an asset at its highest value. And that's just, you know, the Cardinals want to keep those kinds of guys. And, you know, even even when you get into sunk costs a little bit where you may have extended a guy and you say, ah, oh, he's we, we still think he's got something in him. We're going to give him another shot. That's kind of what's going on with Paul DeYoung. Uh, they view it, well, we've got nothing to lose. We're already paying him. And that's true. But... In other ways, they haven't been able to maximize maybe the values of some guys because they're a little reactive rather than proactive when it comes to those trades. And I, I could see both sides of arguments on why that's good or why that's bad. But my point with this is I don't think Mason Wynn developing into a major league player sooner than later is a sign that, well, they've got to trade the other guys as position. Nope. I think it all works out in the end. And you don't make a trade uh, from a surplus just to make a trade unless you're getting something that, that you really could use on the other side of that. So it's kind of the way I look at things from a position player standpoint. We will have plenty more to talk about when it comes to the lineup and things of that nature. Uh, but I wanted to touch on some of the pitching news uh, because we haven't had a podcast since the Wainwright injury. Obviously, Wainwright's starting the season on the injured list. Had the groin injury pop up a number of weeks. He's going to be out. I don't know if it's going to be a 60-day IL situation, right? The Cardinals, technically Jordan Walker, is not on the active roster yet. They've announced he's making the team. They have to put him on the 40-man first, and the 40-man is full because they called up Taylor Motter. He's going to make the team as a reserve infielder, which I think is fine. Uh, DeYoung's on the injured list, and so that's what facilitates that move for Motter. He's had a good spring, and he's got versatility. He can play just about anywhere, and so that'll be a nice piece for the Cardinals bench. But with Motter onto the 40-man, that makes 40, and Walker's still got to be added. Some of the options. Wilking Rodriguez got him in the Rule 5 draft from the Yankees. Uh, might have made the team, might not have, but then ended up having the shoulder tightness pop up. And so with that, if it's serious enough that it warrants a 60-day IL, that sort of solves that problem. You get the 40-man the spot back, Jordan Walker can go on, no issues there. 
or you could have that situation with Wainwright, but in that case, you really would be missing him from your rotation for 60 days. Paul DeYoung, same thing. It's like a back that he tweaked. It doesn't seem like an injury that'll take 60 days, or at least we won't know up front that it's going to, to be that long. And so that might be another tough sell on the 60-day IL. Wilking Rodriguez, to me, would be the most obvious, just because when they say when, when they say shoulder tightness, it could be any you know it could be any length of time, any severity level. And so if it's more serious, maybe that's a guy that they they have to shut down for a couple of months, and that would kind of solve that problem. Otherwise, you look to maybe the DFA route. Uh, I don't think Paul DeYoung is a candidate there. He's going to be on the IL. You know, if if you'd 60-day IL him, you'd, you'd say it's more serious than it really is if you really had to, I think, before getting rid of a guy. So I don't really see that path for it. Um, they could make a trade. They could trade. They've got a surplus of, like, left-handed relievers, and they could maybe unload one of those guys if they can get something back for one of those players. Ideally, somebody who doesn't have to go into the 40-man, right, because otherwise you're not really solving the problem of the excess uh, get a younger prospect and, and doesn't even really matter the position if you're kind of strapped for, for the spot. Another option would be Jose Fermin, who has not hit this spring. I think he's dealing with an injury as well, but uh, he's a shortstop on the 40-man, and you've, you've had Motter really look good and deserve the spot on the opening day roster. He can play shortstop if had to. Uh, Kramer Robertson's had a really good spring. Uh, I don't think he has to be on the 40-man. Like, they've got organizational depth at infield. I know they traded for Fermin, and he's like 23, 24 years old. He has no upside offensively. I just don't I, I don't think there's a, a dire need to have that kind of player unless they, they see something and, and think, yeah, this guy's got more in the bat. Then they hold on to him because he's young, right? He's only 23 or so years old, and so I can see them wanting to not cut bait on a guy that's just so young and maybe hasn't tapped into all of his potential. Anything I've seen from statistics-wise, I don't really, you know, if they had to, push came to shove, I think you could do it. I don't even know if anybody would claim him. You might be able to keep him. So uh, that's kind of an option there. Otherwise, I don't really know what the obvious options are, but within the next couple of days, we'll know, and then we'll tell you and talk about it. Uh, but Walker's going to be there. Wainwright won't be. Jake Woodford on the roster. Before, we thought maybe he wouldn't make it. Then we saw Ollie Marmel was praising him, so he was going to make it. Probably going to be that swingman, six-starter slash uh, long reliever in the Cardinals' bullpen. Well, now he's into the rotation, makes uh, an easy jump with Adam Wainwright's injury, so he'll be the fifth starter, and hopefully he's able to get it done. This will be a big chance for Jake Woodford, who has not really had uh, the, the first crack at some of these opportunities in past years. He's filled in from time to time, uh, has done well, had a great ERA last year, but I, I noticed this on his baseball reference page, and it was kind of hard to believe. Jake Woodford, for the fact that he was not a closer by any means, you know, he started, I think, one or two games and one start last year, 27 appearances overall. 19, I believe, was in the, no, pardon me, it was 16, still a significant number. 16 games finished, wasn't a closer, didn't get a single save, but he was the guy that recorded the last out in 16 games. He was always pitching when the Cardinals were up big or down big, right? And so that wasn't necessarily a very valuable role, had a 2.23 ERA, but did not get those premier opportunities. This will be that for Woodford. He'll get those premier opportunities, and we'll see what he's able to do with them. I, I hope he's successful. I know the Cardinals hope that uh, because they don't have a lot on the books for 2024 in terms of a starting rotation. Jake Woodford turning into a reliable guy would be noteworthy. Uh, they do have Miles Michaelis, though, now on the books for 2024. They signed him to a two-year extension. That news came uh, several days ago. Haven't done a podcast, so we're talking about it now. Two years, $40 million is essentially what it boils down to, but he's getting an extra $8 million this year, three onto his salary, and five in the form of a signing bonus. And then the next two years will be $16 million each. 
pretty reasonable price, I think, for what Miles Michaelis brings to the table. He's not going to be an ace necessarily. He doesn't have to be your number one best starter, but he's a really rock-solid number two, and I think he's a guy that when healthy is going to continue to give you 200 innings, ERA of three and a half or better. That's just really solid for Michaelis, and it's important, I think, for the Cardinals to get a guy like that locked up so you can start to see that 24 rotation come into form and you don't get desperate on the back end if you don't have the guys you need ahead of time. And then to get into the final topic of the night for uh, what we'd planned to discuss on B-Shape Daily today, one of those guys that probably won't be part of that 24 rotation only because he's a free agent and we've wondered for a while whether he'd be interested in re-upping with the Cardinals. He said he would be, but will the Cardinals be interested in a long-term contract with Jack Flaherty uh, without a really strong bounce-back season from him? Got to show the health first. I think that's been first and foremost with Jack. And when healthy, we know how dynamic he can be. This spring, though, it's been a little rough. Five starts, 19 and two-thirds innings, the ERA at 6.41 for Flaherty. A rough outing in his most recent appearance. I think the Cardinals ended up losing the game 24-1. to Obviously, Jack Flaherty was not involved in uh, the majority of that, but he did, I think, start that game. And, yeah, it's... A question of like how much do you how much do you factor it in? How much do you care about what the spring training stats are versus well, we just want to see guys getting their work in and we know that once the season gets going, then we start paying attention to the numbers. I think I'm not super worried about what we've seen from Jack Flaherty, partially because the numbers before that start on the 26th, I believe uh, that was, what, Saturday, Sunday? A couple days ago, as I'm finishing this up on Tuesday morning after midnight. The numbers weren't that bad for Flaherty. Four and a half ERA, hadn't given up more than three runs in a, in a given start prior to this game on Sunday. And then in this one, he gives up six earned in three and two-thirds. So that spikes his ERA. That was a bad outing. You're going to have those. A little worried about the command. That would be the main thing, right? He had three walks and two hit batters in that game. Didn't give up any home runs. Only two home runs allowed this spring. But a lot of the damage that came against him came because he was not commanding the strike zone. Three walks, two hit batters. For me, it's always been about not nibbling. Go and attack. That's got to be the thing that I think Jack Flaherty can do that makes him most effective. Uh, But sometimes you don't have command of your pitches, and so it's not really a mental thing of, trying to nibble it's sometimes uh you're just a little erratic and as long as he's healthy I wouldn't worry too much about that start but the Cardinals I think do need him to be that dynamic guy that they can count on when he get to October like we're going to do some preview stuff I think the Cardinals are probably going to win this division win the NL Central but you could find yourself in that position once again of having to win two out of three against somebody at your home ballpark and you'd really like to have a vintage healthy Jack Flaherty, I think, for one of those playoff games. Not a great finish to his spring, but he's still going to take the ball for the second game of the regular season for the Cardinals, taking on the Blue Jays. It'll be a lot of fun at Bush Stadium on Saturday. I'm I'm in wait-and-see mode, I think, with Jack Flaherty. I'm not overreacting, though, to the spring and certainly not to just the one spring outing that really didn't go well for him, which was a couple of days ago. That is going to do it, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Plenty more to talk about when it comes to the St. Louis Cardinals. We're just getting warmed up. So make sure you're following on Spotify or you've subscribed on Apple Podcasts. Check out YouTube.com slash at B-Shape for 12 as well. Going to get more YouTube videos going 
as time goes on. Would love to get your subscription over there. But thanks again for joining me, guys. Appreciate it as always, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.